For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Ah, it's going to be a day we have... We are on multiple weeks in a row of abandoning positive and encouraging. And again, I say we because it is not just me and the other voices in my head, although we are over here and Lou is over there. I'm, I'm already here, and sometimes <laughs> I swear I could hear those other voices. But <laughs> Hey, hey, I try to keep them under control, but I'm making no promises. <laughs> <laughs> and we are here to tell you that it's only a joke if it's actually funny. Is he, and I know that's a hard concept for people because not everyone is as comedically gifted as I am. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't help that one. <laughs> but we are going to uh, we are going to have some fun with <sighs> – they claimed it was a joke, but I don't believe them. <laughs> and even if it is a joke, it's, it's so pathetically unfunny and sad that it's worthy of looking at and heaping scorn and ridicule upon it. Of course. Uh, so stipulated? So stipulated. All right. So it is written, so, so it, it shall, shall be, done. be done. Before we get there, though, I am reading from James 2. I am reading from the end of James 2 because it is kind of a punchline. So before we go back, let's just make sure. Let's see if this is a stipulated statement. You ready? Okay. All right. Christians, your faith actually requires you to live a certain way in the world. What? We can agree on that one, right? Yeah, I'm joking. Motion. Yeah. Second. Second. So so it is written, so yeah. it shall be done. <laughs> it's almost as if it's written somewhere, right? Yeah, it's almost like they put this sort of stuff in a book, mm. and you're expected to read it and then follow it and stuff. Right, right. I mean. So tempted to do, like, Southern California. Thousands. Like, we got to, like, do holiness and stuff. Yeah, okay? As <laughs> I smack my gob. Yeah. <laughs> I almost sat down one day. I actually had it written out. I was going to do a theology lesson in, like, valley voice. But I thought it was a little too close to being sacrilege, so I decided against it. I I, I was listening to a podcast from James White, and he was reading a version of the Bible that was – based on, like, street lingo. Oh, yeah, the Bible for Gen Z thing. Gen Z. Yeah, that – I – yeah. I was like, you know, there's probably a way to do that legitimately. I was like, is there a way where you could use those bad lingos to actually teach good theology? And I was thinking through it, and I was just like, no, it's just too bad. I can't, I, yeah. I can't do it with it a straight was face. So horrible. So I, 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 I nixed the idea. But <laughs> so every once in a while, though, it's, it still comes back to me. But yeah, it's almost like you're supposed to take some of this seriously and actually live it out. Right. Which is what James is act- is ultimately talking about in the entirety of his book. I think so, so if you'd like a rundown of this, I believe we posted all of those sermons. You can go back and listen to them as we walked through James just a little while ago. So, again, I say we, me and the other voices in my head. So mm-hmm. let's rewind, though, in chapter 2 to verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Now, that's a good question. In other words, is it of any value to you? To claim to follow God without it actually looking like you follow God. It's no value. Shouldn't be. Mm-mm. And this, oh, this is, talk about bad timing. I just today finished a, uh, a book that I bought called The Bad Popes. <laughs> wow. And it's running down a history of um, seven popes from around the, was it the 12th to the 16th century? And the corruption and the simony and the 
the secular authority being wielded in Rome and the surrounding world by these popes and how it corrupted the men and it corrupted the office and it corrupts the bishops and the car, everything. It's just, it's, it's a disaster and train wreck of theology. And that was one of the recurring themes I kept noticing is like, these guys are supposed to be in a spiritual office and yet they're living like secular royalty. And in many instances, the secular royalty around them <laughs> was more pious and Christian than they were. And th that would be straight to James's point. To claim a faith like that is to claim no faith at all. Right, right. Something we've talked about before. You are actually saved to a religious group. You have religious obligation and duty. You don't just get to sit there and be like, well, it's just me and Jesus, and I do whatever I want, and I'm washed in the blood. That's not how this actually works. You actually – sorry, don't ask me where that voice came from either. Yeah, I'm thinking about that, you know. That's that's my suburban Karen voice right there. Okay. So, I mean, that doesn't actually work. You actually have things you're supposed to be about and function in and do. One of them is actually the good works that have been prepared for you beforehand, Ephesians 2.10. That's what James is building. I mean, again, Paul what, doesn't. What, I mean, just just a quick question. What do yes. you think those good works are? Oh, I mean, I mean, let's be specific. Well, we're going to be specific in a minute, but part of that is actually keeping the commandments that God has laid down because they are yeah. no longer a burden to you. Mm -hmm. They are a joy in Christ. Now, yeah. again, we've talked about this numerous times. Where's the simple summary? The absolute simplest summary is not always helpful. The simplest summary of the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Right. And Christians like to stop right there and be like, well, that's the end of it. I don't have to do anything else. Okay, stop. Mm -hmm. What is that a summary of? Because it's a summary of a summary. It's a summary of the ten. And it's a summary of the ten, yes. Right, the so ten what words. does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, it looks like not worshiping idols. It looks like honoring the name of God. It looks like having no other God or anything else in the place of God in your life. What does it look like to love my neighbor? Don't kill him. Mm -hmm. Don't take his stuff. Don't sleep with his wife. Don't lie to him. And don't wish you had his life. There you go. That's a pretty good summary. Are those too difficult for us to do? <laughs> you wouldn't think so. Well, that's a common response that I get from people when I talk to them about stuff like this. That's just because you're a hateful bigot. Uh, of course. <laughs> but we already yeah. knew this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, okay, all right. So he's put it in a book somewhere, yeah. but he's made it so unattainable that we can't do it? No, and that's again where why, I, why I'm going to get a kick out of this article we're going to get to. Yeah. Because... We complicate life when Christian living is actually supposed to be quite simple right. because it is actually spirit-led. And what I mean by that is no Christian has ever had an opportunity for any good work to be presented before him and for him to have rejected that good work unaware. Right. It's never happened. You may have rejected the work, but 20 minutes later you were sitting there going, I should have done that. You know, I mean, I could have, and I didn't, and here's why I didn't. Bother. You knew. Mm -hmm. You knew. I know that you know, and you know that I know that you know, and we both know the Holy Spirit knew beforehand, so what are we arguing about? All right, it's presuppositional, yeah, right? You I mean, that's what you're getting You at. understood you know. what you were supposed to do. You didn't do it. <laughs> now, the joy of Christianity is that you can then sit there and go, 
My perfection is not a requirement for my salvation. Christ's perfection has already provided for my salvation. Therefore, for that too Christ has died, I can repent of this sin, but notice what we're actually doing. We're acknowledging that I have failed in an opportunity to walk in godliness. So I can repent of this, trust in God that he will give me other opportunities, and walk anew. You, you say something all the time, and I really like it. And Ooh. you say something like, for this too Christ mm-hmm. has died. And we have to remember that always, always, always that's because really that's good. our daily living. Yeah. And that's, again, I'm now clean. Mm-hmm. My status as righteous before the throne has not been changed. My holiness before God has not been lost because it is not based upon me. It is based upon Christ. Now, I'm not happy about that. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, when I say I'm not happy about that, I'm happy about the Christ part. I'm not happy about the, the fact that I failed. Mm-hmm. But I know because it is his work that my goodness is based upon that he has not forgotten nor forsaken me. Therefore, even though I have failed in this righteousness, I know by his mercy and grace I will get another shot at something so I can continue to walk faithfully continue to walk trustingly with my eyes open paying better attention and listening for the voice that's going to guide me into righteousness so I'm not lost James gets this always remember this James 1 gets this he's couching everything in the fact that you need to be rested upon God's wisdom you need to be rested upon standing firm in Christ in salvation everything in James 2 through 5 is based on that supposition from chapter 1 Mm. so always remember that Great, great probably summary. should have, probably should have covered that first, but you know it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So the answer to James's rhetorical question is, can that faith save him? Is no, no. and that's obvious, and he's going to make that obvious. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, this is a big deal because stop. Who provides your daily bread, Christian? Think on it. Mm-hmm. You ready? Uh-huh. God does. Yeah. Who clothes? Clothes. The flowers of the field. It's God. Who provides for your daily need? It is God. Now, this is going back to Matthew 6. We understand that this is from God. Always remember that's the other part of this. Everything James says, James is not sitting there, you know, humana, humana, humana. Oh, that's a good idea. I should write that down. He is basing everything upon the actual teachings of Christ. So these are needs as they have been met in Christ, not once. Never get that twisted, as I'm shaking my finger at the microphone. <laughs> you tell him, Mike. <laughs> I'm literally wagging my finger at the microphone. These are never wants that we're concerned in. These are needs. Right. But God meets those needs. Now, here's the other part. And I think we've mentioned, we've touched on this before. I know I have on a Sunday morning. God uses means. And sometimes the means that he uses is his children. So, great example of this is your Old Testament. You're told all the way back in Genesis 15 that God will bring judgment upon the Canaanites, the Amorites, the para- all, all the parasites of the land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting names. I but think yeah. it took you a second on that one. Yeah. <laughs> all the ites, God will bring judgment. How and when? Well, he brings judgment on them 400 years later in the personage of Joshua in the armies of Israel. Right. Likewise, occupying the land disobedient Israel and Judah have judgment from God visited upon them by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The sinful Babylonians then have God's judgment visited upon them by the Medes and the Persians. Wow. I mean, this is... Yeah, so this a is cyclical thing in history. God providentially working mm-hmm. throughout history. He uses the means of his people and sometimes of the pagan. Mm-hmm. So when you see your brother and sister in need of daily food and daily clothing, in other words, the things promised to be cared for by God, and one of you says to them, go in peace. 
be warmed and be filled. Yet you do not give what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Oh, that's so bad. That is so bad. And we can, we do that. It is never more prevalent in our society today. You, can, you can't go anywhere without seeing somebody looking for help. I mean, they're in the streets everywhere. Oh, absolutely. And, and again, though, what's the means by which God is going to use to provide for them? It's going to be his people. Right. Now. Should be. Would you like, this has been said oftentimes, and I'm going to make a case for it. You ready? Okay. That, that America, so if you are listening outside of America, and I know some of you are, that's okay. We still love you. If you are, but if you know anything about our culture, it has been said for a while that we are a nation under judgment. Mm. And I think one of the things you could notice is if judgment and reformation will not come from God's people, what will God do? He will use he the pagans. Yeah, from so, non-believers. But. So what was, what was supposed to happen with Judah? Judah had just witnessed. Let's use our historical example again. Judah had just witnessed a century or a little, little more than a century before the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. Judah had witnessed the miraculous uh, deliverance from God, the angel killing the Assyrians and sparing Jerusalem and preserving that kingdom. And yet in the preceding 140-ish years, you saw degradation and destruction on a scale not before seen. The worst king since Ahab is Hezekiah's son Manasseh, who follows up seeing the destruction of the Assyrians and that good reign of his father with, again, the worst reign of any king of of the two kingdoms since Ahab. Right. I mean, his name should almost be a curse word. It's so bad. Yeah, rebuilding the high places and all of With that stuff. With all yeah. of that seeing, and realize Hezekiah is the first king to actually tear down those high places. Right. So for the first time in 500 years almost, we're getting this right, or starting to get this right, and then we undo that. So reformation won't come from within. Then it must come from without. One of the complaints that I've lodged for years, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling to this, this is a legitimate complaint, is that my problem with the social safety net, air quotes, that we have in our country is that it's the government usurping the role of the church. So charity is supposed to belong to the church. It's not the government's job to provide Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and food stamps and all of these things. We're thankful as a society that these things exist, but at the same time, that's not the government's job. That's supposed to be the church's job. Is it possible that part of what it looks like to be a nation under judgment is God saying, well, you're not doing the work? You're not caring for the people the way you're supposed to, so I need to find someone who will. And it will be corrupt, and it will be broken, and it will be everything bad that you think it is, but at the same time, it'll at least exist. I don't know. I don't know. That, 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 would, be, that would warrant a, a good case study, I think, and an investigation and to think through these things. But is that a possibility? I think the answer is yes. I'm not making the argument that that's what happened, but is it possible? Well, when, when our uh, government is chosen by the people— instead of by God, that's what you get. Because I think we saw that in Samuel when they chose Saul instead of... And Saul is a king for judgment. And for what judgment. Do you, what do you get? The usurping of all of God's authority in the state. And But what is that? That's judgment from God on a people who have rejected him. Right. But but those evil kings, they will use the people mm-hmm. and take their resources mm-hmm. and their children. And, yes. And they will cause lots of suffering. We're seeing that yes. in real time, even today. Absolutely. So in James, this is the argument. You looked at your brother... You saw that he needed clothing. You saw that he needed food. And your answer was, I'll pray for you. I hope God sends someone to help. 
<laughs> if only he would send someone. Yeah, if only there was something that could be done and someone oh, who Lord. could see your plight. I mean, even if you've got nothing to give, you're part of the church. Pick that brother up. Give him something. Yeah. And find someone who can. Right. Someone in your fellowship can help. Someone. You know someone who would be glad to give you a loaf of bread. I mean, something. And that's part of James's point. That's why the last verse here. Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. See, you can't live like that. You can't actually look at your neighbor and say, eh, I really wish somebody would do something. I really wish God would send someone to care about this plight. He did. He sent you. Hmm. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it's supposed to look like. Now, I tell you that story yeah. because <clears throat> if... Just, let's just assume for a second. Shall we travel off to make-believe land? If my contention is correct and our government is operating in a system of judgment and if one of those symbols of judgment is the usurping of the work of the church because the church has failed to consistently do that work and if that government is pagan to its core and you know what, I'm just going to take the if out of that one because that government is pagan to its core and most Western governments are pagan to their core, mm -hmm. how long will they benevolently exercise that charitable function before it becomes something that they no longer use as a gift but begin to use as a cudgel against the least of these that they no longer desire to protect? Just out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I would I would actually say that, that we're starting to see signs of that already. I agree. Um, I mean, the societies that we live in, they, they provide certain resources to certain people groups predominantly. And I'm not talking about systemic racism here. <laughs> I'm just talking about the reality of, of, of people in high places making decisions to keep certain people at bay, if you will. That's a good way of putting it. Um, now, and how long before that becomes widespread in a pagan system? Is oh, it, do, it's, it doesn't take long. That would no. be my point exactly. No, it doesn't take long at all. And I, Our society is so sick right now. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing how much information you can glean about a person that's out there in real time, still in video, and yet you'll listen to a, a given person and he'll be saying the exact opposite of what he said 10 years ago, perhaps. But that doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. It's almost as if it never happened. Self-awareness mm -hmm. is right in the grave next to common sense. <laughs> right. right. So here's a good example of this. You ready? Yeah. We, the, I, I didn't write this. We sometimes talk about hunger in the world as if it were a scourge that all of us want to see abolished viewing it as comparable with the plague or AIDS. But that naive view prevents us from coming to grips with what causes and sustains hunger. Hunger has great positive value to many people. Indeed, it is fundamental to the working of the world's economy. Hungry people are the most productive people, especially where there is a need for manual labor. <laughs> Folks, you guys should know that... Um... Mike, he, he likes to find these zingers and send them to me. And, and I usually respond to him, but this one was so bad. I have come so close. I I am within inches of crushing Lou's will to live. Yeah, I can't do it anymore. Where do these people come from? Oh, my goodness. 
this is, I mean, this is awesome. And I mean that in the most horrifying way possible. Right, it's like they told you exactly what they're thinking. You have to, see, I'm laughing in the most morose way possible, because if you don't laugh at this, you will begin cutting yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. Mm. And I don't wish to, to go down that road, so... We in developed countries sometimes see poor people by the roadside holding up signs saying, we'll work for food. Actually, <laughs> that's a joke mm. online. Like any minute now, somebody's going to come around and be like, actually, I mean, he, and he literally did. Actually, most people work for food. It is mainly because people need food to survive. <laughs> Hmm. Ten points for you, Captain Obvious. That they work so hard either in producing food for themselves in subsistence-level production or by selling their services to others in exchange for money. How many of us would sell our services if it were not for the threat of hunger? Hmm. <laughs> this guy's my new favorite person. I want to have dinner with this dude. I mean, I'm only going to give him, like, bread and water, but, you know. Right. <laughs> I figured if you were hungry, we'd stimulate conversation more. <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> you're gonna have to work for your <laughs> you're Sorry. gonna have to provide stimulating conversation before you're fed yes for every good point you make i'll give you some fruit or something <laughs> the conventional thinking is that hunger is caused by low-paying jobs for example an article reports on brazil's ethanol slaves 200,000 migrant sugar cutters who prop up renewable energy boom while it is true that hunger is caused by low-paying jobs, we need to understand that hunger at the same time causes low-paying jobs to be created. Who would have established massive biofuel production operations in Brazil if they did not know there were thousands of hungry people desperate enough to take the awful jobs they would offer? Who would build any sort of factory if they did not know that many people would be available to take the jobs at low-pay rates? Mm. <laughs> Much of the hunger literature... I love this. The Hunger Literature. Is that is that what was that the name of the newspaper in the Hunger Games? <laughs> I don't I don't think so, but Hunger Much literature. of the Hunger Literature talks about how it is important to assure the people. I'm sorry. Assure that people are well fed so they can be more productive. That's nonsense. No one works harder than hungry people. Yes. People who are well-nourished have greater capacity for productive physical activity, but well-nourished people are far less willing to do that work. I mean... Yeah, it's pretty pretty hard to read. Now, at this point, I'm going to throw out the disclaimer. First of all, this was actually published years ago mm -hmm. by an author. I don't remember his name. I don't really care. It was republished a couple of weeks ago by the United Nations. And then pulled down, right? They pulled it down because right. they went, oh, well, this was a satirical piece and we were posting it in the spirit of satire, but since nobody got the joke, we figured it would be best to pull it down. Since when were they a group that did that ever? Yeah, because the UN, world-renowned for their sense of humor. Right, yeah, it's like... <laughs> you will eat the bugs, you will own the nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know that's a different group, but... <laughs> I mean, Klaus should just be the spokesperson for all of these organizations at this point. Charles Schwab, or Klaus Schwab. Yeah, <laughs> Klaus, have you seen them in the same room together? Huh, huh, huh? I, have you? Mm -mm. <laughs> Charles Schwab, Klaus Schwab, and Santa Claus. Maybe they're all the same guy. I don't know. Maybe that's how he gets the elves. He enslaved them because they were hungry. There you go. I just solved the They must have been good workers. Because <laughs> he keeps them hungry. That's Starving. why he's fat and they're little. <laughs> I think you're on to something. I, I am on to something. I think you're on that's to why it. he's at the North Pole. That way they can't break out and form subsistence level farms themselves. They are dependent upon the fat man for their sustenance. 
That's why there's only the nine reindeer. He kills the others to feed the elves. There it is. I figured it out. <laughs> One reindeer to feed them all. <laughs> I mean, makes as much sense as this article. The non-governmental organization, Free the Slaves, defines slaves as people who are not allowed to walk away from their jobs. That's an interesting definition. Define allowed. Yeah. It estimates that there are about 27 million slaves in the world, including those who are literally locked into workrooms and held as bonded laborers in South Asia. However, they do not include people who might be described as slaves to hunger. That is, those who are free to walk away from their jobs but have nothing better to go to. Maybe most people who work are slaves to hunger. <laughs> For the, <laughs> that, that one got you, huh? Yes. To insert Britney Spears here. For those of us at the high end of the social ladder, he see he, that's that's him. He's at the he's at the high end of the social ladder. Ending hunger globally would be a disaster. If there were no hunger in the world, who would plow the fields? Who would harvest our vegetables? Who would work in the rendering plants? Who would clean our toilets? We would have to produce our own food and clean our own toilets. No wonder people at the high end are not rushing to solve the hunger problem. For many of us, hunger is not a problem, but an asset. Oh, these people. Now, let's let's attack this from two angles. You ready? All right, let's do that. We'll do angle one first because that's how life works. So angle one, let's give them no benefit of the doubt because they have earned no benefit of the doubt, and this is serious. Mm -hmm. That's horrendous. Right. But what would it look like in a pagan nation that has assumed control over charity, economics, social construction, to then look out at the world and say, you know, it's time we engineered this a little bit better. It made you realize just how lucky you are to have what little you have. Mm-hmm. Would it sound any different from this? No, I don't think it would. I don't either. Now, that would be a problem. Why? Because, Christian, you can't live like that. You can't look at the problems of the world and go, you know what? Ultimately, this is good for society. This will make them work harder and they will function better. That is not, I repeat, that is not the biblical understanding of suffering. The biblical understanding of suffering is you figuring out how your difficulties in this world are being used by God to refine and strengthen you mm-hmm. not you deciding what god is doing to them this is why like when the tornadoes hit somewhere and be like oh it's the judgment of god maybe yeah we don't know maybe not yeah i mean this is job right you know maybe job's being judged buddies but you know what there's probably a good chance that he's not actually and you might want to stop and encourage actual godliness and encouragement in christ i know there was no christ yet but the concept was there as opposed to blaming, bemoaning, and justifying. This is not how we're supposed to live in the world. Why? Because when we do all of those things, we're no longer following the commandments as, they, as they've been laid down. We're following a worldly system. Mm-hmm. We're no longer looking with love upon neighbor and service to God. We are following a system that demands obedience. The world system's never meant to function that way. The world system is meant to function in obedience, not from obedience. There's a difference between those two things. So that's a quick look at the first angle. Now, let's look at the second angle as I finish my coffee. And let's give them the benefit of the doubt. 
Not that they've earned it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but let's give the UN the benefit of the doubt. Has there ever been an organization that has not deserved the benefit of the doubt more than the United Nations? <clears throat> has there ever been an organization no, I mean, those, less deserving of trust than the United Nations? Yeah, they're they're pretty bad. Like the the group that puts North Korea, well not North Korea, but they put China and like Pakistan on the Human Rights Council. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm serious about that. Right, I know it. I know like, it. It's, like it's China, a laughing stock. China, renowned respecter of human rights. <laughs> Pakistan, renowned friend of human rights. You know, let's they be kill honest. People wholesale. Yeah. They so, sterilize them because they don't want what these people represent yeah. in their societies. No organization is more deserving of scorn and distrust than the United Nations. But let's yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt for a minute and say, okay. You saw this and thought it was doing a good job at communicating a message to the world about the causes and problems of hunger. Okay. Let's stop for a second. What then is that piece communicating are the causes of hunger and problems in the world? People who don't want to clean their toilets. (laughs) Yes, it's it's you person that has things. Yeah. You're the problem. What we need to do is make sure the people that don't have anything have more. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we can't expect them to work for it. Because if you work for it, that's basically slavery. That's horrible. See, look, these people have to work for something? That's slavery. That's awful. Well, okay. Assuming that were to be true, I'm not going to do, I don't believe that it's true, but assuming that it were true, what's the alternative? Just out of curiosity. Because if they can't work for it, because that would be slavery, then the only other option would be to give it to them. Now, in order to give it to them, where do I get it from? Like, do we just conjure food from the heavens? Do, do we do we just like pull it from on high? Do we sacrifice to whatever pagan deity they worship, and the and the food just floats down on golden tablets or something, and then we hand it out? Oh, you got a planet to you a bazillion a... Brazilians. No, oh. <laughs> right. To use the country that yeah. he mentioned. Yeah. No, you got a planet. You By gotta... definition, the world actually requires the world requires work. Now let's stop yeah. for a second, Christian. Let's put a biblical term on that concept of work. Okay. The world doesn't just require work. The world requires stewardship. Mm. Stewardship is work rendered as an offering unto God. The planet needs to be stewarded because God is using means in the management of his planet. Your life requires stewardship because you utilize the means of this world to manage your life as an offering unto godliness in this world to God. Your children require stewardship. You are to train them and disciple them. Your friends and neighbors and people you know at church require stewardship, someone to walk alongside of them. This is how we actually live. It's the old adage, if you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. You teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime, right? Right. This is why we don't just hand out answers willy-nilly, but we evaluate things. We discuss them. This is why your Bible is not 49,000 bazillion pages long, okay? Because that's how long it would need to be in order to give you the answer for what you're supposed to do in every situation. 
it wouldn't work. Instead, right. your Bible does what? It gives you underlying principles, expectations, and understandings in godliness so that you may then take that wisdom and walk in it, applying it to the varying situations that you encounter day by day. Hence the reason this relatively short book, and by the way, in the grand scheme of things, the Bible is a relatively short book. You could, without a whole lot of effort, read it multiple times a year. Mm -hmm. Multiple times a year. You could read it once a year with almost no effort. I mean, you're talking three and a half to four pages or chapters a day. Almost minimal effort, and you could read the Bible through annually. Yeah. So it's not an exceptionally long book. It just has so many divisions that people think it's a longer book than it actually is. So you're supposed to be gleaning this wisdom, aided by the Holy Spirit, enlightening you as you walk in this world to apply biblical truth. Meaning you don't just have it handed to you. You actually have to do some work. Yeah. The, the synergistic work of sanctification, thinking and applying and living. Yes, you are provided your daily bread by God. 99.9 .9 times out of 100, though, that is provided through what? Why do you work? Because you have a gifting. You have an ability in an area. Because you have a gifting and an ability in an area, you are paid for that labor. Therefore, you use that payment and you attain the necessities of life. Has God not provided for you? Who made you gifted? Who provided the employer? Who provided the means? Who gave you all of these things? Now, the breakdown may occur when your employer violates, violates biblical concepts to say that, well, the, worther, the worker is, is not worthy of his wages. Therefore, I pay him less than he is valued at. Now, that's not a systemic problem. That's a sin problem. That's not a problem with working for money or working for food. That's a problem with a disobedient boss who is abusing his laborers. Ecclesiastes saw this hmm. 3,000 years ago and, and sees the cheating taskmaster. What's the punchline of Ecclesiastes? Trust God, because God will bring that to judgment. Hmm. God will reward you for your righteousness in him, and God will punish the wickedness that abuses you. You don't get justice here every time you'd like it. Right, and that's that's one of the hard things that people have to recognize is that it's not going to be fire falling from heaven every single time you feel like you've been oh, wrong. Wouldn't that be awesome, though? It would. I mean, come on. That, that we do be... need some more smiting. Smiting, yes! <laughs> <laughs> You're looking for that word, huh? There you go. Yeah. To that point, this is why it is such a big deal that the systems and governments of our world are corrupted and are pagan in nature because they lose a concept of eternal justice. Therefore, they seek to apply it as they understand it, not as God understands it. And whenever we're trying to apply things according to the world standard, there is going to be brokenness. Now, with that all said, because I have Vacation Bible School starting shortly, <laughs> what do you do about that? Because you can't storm the Bastille in this situation. I mean, where we can go storm New York City and gut the UN, please, they'd laugh at you. How do you actually change the entirety of a world culture? And the answer to that has been the same since the beginning of time. You walk in godliness. It's discipleship. You make disciples. Yeah. And as you make disciples where you are, as you go, and they make disciples where they are, as they go, as the church has influence, the church conquers. 
you have a more Christian world when you have more Christians in that world. There's no other method. Mm-hmm. You're saying, well, but we're not making disciples fast enough. You may never. You may never. But good example from history. Um, at the time that Constantine, air quotes, converted, because there's so much debate on that in history, it's not worth even getting into. We don't have time. Mm-hmm. There are estimates that the Christian population of the Roman Empire was somewhere between, you ready? Converted the empire. 60 years later, they become the official state religion of the Roman Empire. You ready for it? Somewhere between 10 and 30% of the empire. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the more honest, realistic estimates are a lot closer to the 10% than they are the 30%. It's the more untrusted sources that claim 30%. 10%, 1 out of 10. One out of ten. And then realize that before Constantine was maybe the darkest and most vile persecution against the church because they were so outnumbered and because they were making such an impact despite their small numbers. Mm -hmm. We think we have to win the battle by overcoming their numbers. No, 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 no. It is God who fights. It is God who wars. And the weapons of our warfare are the proclamation of the gospel is found in scripture and are walking in righteousness. Do that and trust God to overcome. Trust God with the outcome. In other words, actually be the church. Right. Be the church, take up the mark, walk in faith, which means having a faith that produces the good works, that loves neighbor and loves God in a way that honors God. And all of this becomes a moot point because... These problems are taken care of because the church is actually doing its job. Hmm. That's the call. Yeah. Now, again, you can't make the church do its job. So what do you do? You walk faithfully. All right. You the only thing you God. can control. You follow where you can follow. Encourage those you have influence with. And, again, trust that God will accomplish these things. All right. Be wary, Christian. These Be are wary. the things that are coming. Yeah, so, for sure. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. All right. Then what have we learned here today, Christians? Sin wants to destroy you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very true. Love only grows colder without God. Right. <laughs> mm. And the world needs the church to be the church. I mean, this is what's going to come down. This is what it looks like when the love, of, the love of many grows cold. This is what it looks like when they profess to be wise in their own eyes. Be wary. Be paying attention. Be grounded in the faith. And until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.